Welcome everyone to Discipleship Podcasts with the Bend International Church of Christ. I'm Joey Hungerford and I just want to introduce you to season eight of our podcast, which is the year 2023. And we're exploring a lot of real life theology this year, the Holy Spirit, uh, faithful faith, the grand meta narrative of the Bible, disciple making, and so much more. So I'm excited that you're here. I hope that you stay tuned. Please give us a review and share it with your friends. God bless. Thank you all for coming, being here around the living room. And yes, today we're talking about what is the gospel, starting our gospel series. And I, I want to start off with that question. I have a few scriptures to get into. Um, a lot of people have different summaries of the gospel, a lot of different disclaimers um, to disambiguate the gospel, gospel of grace, gospel of glory, gospel of the kingdom. But what is the gospel to you? I want to hear two or three people just answer, what is the gospel? And I'll also preface, I'm ready to cut this lesson in half if need be, if my, if my baby wakes up or the kids get a little restless. But we'll still get the gospel, because even part of the gospel it can be uh, condensed, it can be shorthand, it can be a summary, but we're going to get in the scriptures. So, for you guys, what is the gospel? Veronica? Hope. Hope. All right. What scriptures? Are, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a lot of scriptures give a lot of different dimensions. Hope would be one of them. Well, who else would have a definition? What is the gospel? Good news. Good news. All right, all right. Good news, hope, a structure to follow. All right, all right. Pretty good answers. Anyone got one more for us? Salvation. Salvation, that's up there. All right, and you can never go wrong with saying Jesus, right? So <laughs> but we want to know what the good news is, certainly. We want to know what the gospel is. If a coworker or a family member ever asks, say, what is the gospel? then you can tell them what the gospel is. Here's 10 points for you. If you're going to go to an academic study of it, it's that Jesus pre-existed as God the Son, was sent by the Father, took on human flesh in fulfillment of God's promises to David. I mean, we were all thinking that in our minds, right? <laughs> Died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, was buried, was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, appeared to many witnesses, is enthroned at the right hand of God as the ruling Christ, um, has sent the Holy Spirit to his people to affect his rule and will come again as final judge to rule. After the theologians all argue together, they kind of land around those ten points that maybe we'll have memorized someday. For you, though, as you heard that, what would you add or remove to your definition of the gospel? Just be thinking about that as we have this lesson today and throughout our entire gospel series. Shorthand, Scott McKnight actually came up with this quote that the gospel is the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because it's there where you get the full story about Jesus. Um, the narrative, the story, it's the culmination of everything coming together, all the prophecies, all the scriptures, it's all there. It's why they call them the gospels. <laughs> also shorthand, I like to say the gospel is that Jesus is the saving king. Could all be condensed to just that phrase. So the earliest gospel of the gospels you get, the gospel of Mark, opens up with this verse. First verse of the earliest written gospel, Mark, 
and links the gospel to that saving king, Jesus' messianic kingship. It just says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Or your translation might say Messiah right there. So let's talk about those words really quick. Uh, Christ, it's comparable to your majesty, kingship. It's to give renown. It's specifically designed and designated for that. It's this universal significance, and especially the Hebrew word Messiah, to say that the Davidic king is here off of the line of David. So when you see Messiah, just remember that's the Hebrew word. When you see Christ, just remember that's the Greek word. And actually both mean anointed one. They have something to do with oil, like anointing with oil. Well, when did Jesus ever do that? You might think right off the bat. Well, it's his baptism, start of his ministry, anointed by the Holy Spirit. Comes upon him and his father says, this is my son. And then Jesus says, I have been anointed to do X, Y, and Z and proclaim the gospel. So I point that out just to see the very first verse of the very first gospel is that Jesus is king the Christ, the Messiah. Christ and by the Holy Spirit in baptism rather than with oil. Now, sometimes we hear gospel and we only think cross. Here's what else we would point out, just coming closer to a definition. Um, did Jesus preach the gospel? And we gotta think. <laughs> well, yeah, Jesus did preach the gospel. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes, great. Sometimes he even mentioned, hey, I'm going to go to the cross. But Jesus actually preached the gospel a lot before even mentioning the cross. And though that's central and a part of the gospel, Jesus preached the gospel before that ever happened. So that should open our eyes to say the gospel is much more than just that event in history or just the end of the gospel. It's the entire story in the Gospels. For example, Luke 4.43 says this, I must preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. That's what Jesus was doing, going to preach gospel. So that's just, it's a good hint for us. Now, that's not immediately obvious to us how Jesus is king is good news. All right, so we have to piece that together. And yeah, what about salvation? What about the cross, forgiveness? Well, some of these things are gospel benefits, and some of them are our response to the gospel, but not necessarily the gospel itself. Last Sunday, we talked about the beauty of forgiveness and how that's good news, finishing out our new birth series. But it's actually a gospel benefit rather than the heart of the gospel itself. Today, we're talking about the gospel, this gospel story. It is good news. Really, we want to get in the scriptures today to say that what the scriptures say are going to happen, happen. We're going to jump into John 18 and look at Jesus going to the cross and just look at how many scriptures are fulfilled right there. And the good news there, why is it good news that scriptures are fulfilled, that Jesus is going to the cross? Because that also means the scriptures will be fulfilled, that Jesus is resurrected. It also means that one day will be resurrected, that we can belong to him, have life to him, that at the last days will be raised up as well. So if you take one part of the scriptures as true, you have to take all of them as true, that he is the king, we can belong to him and live this life for him. That's good news. But at first, John 18, you can turn your Bibles over to there, we'll sink into this text for a moment, 
And this is a bleak moment. This is the Rocky Balboa knocked down. I don't know if he's getting back up. Jesus is starting to get flogged. He's starting to get whipped. This is the, um, you know, Gandalf just tumbled off the bridge. And, you know, that sad music is playing. And they're all, like, staring off into the horizon. And what has happened? That's John 18. So let's jump right into it. I'm just trying to get the feelings up. We all felt something right there. John 18, verses 19 through 24. John 18, verse 19. says, Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. So this whole ministry, all of his following and everything he's taught throughout the Gospels, he's being questioned on it. Verse 20. I, and remember, he said, my purpose is to preach the good news. Verse 20, I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple, or even in living rooms like this, where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. You got to be interested in the truth if you want to be interested in what the gospel is. This guy was not interested in the truth. (laughs) Jesus goes, what have I said? And this guy slaps him, sends him away to the next high priest. This guy is interested in how he was offending their tradition, right? You got to be interested in the truth and how the scriptures are being fulfilled. Even right here, it says he's going to the high priest Caiaphas. There's a lot of truth right there. Back in 1990, they had an archaeological dig two miles south of Jerusalem. They found a, a what do you call it? Not a bone box, but it is a bone box, but it's a um, not a sarcophagus. There's another word for it. Ossuary, an ossuary, such a tough word. Um, basically, it's the Jewish tradition like a sarcophagus. <laughs> But you put people's bones in a box, and they can hold for over 2,000 years. And so where a lot of the priest's bones were kept at, there's a bone box for Caiaphas, the high priest. Dated back to this exact time, this guy's bones are still around. There's a lot of truth to the story that we're reading about here. Pilate, the Roman governor who we sent to in this chapter, even a lot of secular historians said that Pilate was the Roman governor at that time. And they all say that there was a Jesus of Nazareth who died on across there, even secular historians. You got to be interested in the truth if you want to be interested in the gospel. But you may have to settle for the unadorned gospel, the unfanciful gospel. This is the Jesus who was born in a manger. Uh, This is a Jesus who was led to the cross. This is a God who's content to reveal himself in non-flashy ways and tell people just whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So I'm not trying to be flashy this morning, but I am saying you got to be interested in the truth. All right, let's keep, uh, we're going to poke around in this chapter. In John 18, 33 through 39, Pilate, he's curious about Jesus, especially that he calls himself a king. And Jesus seems pretty innocent to him. He says, but we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. Verse 32, this took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Here's some kingship coming into play. Verse 34, is that your idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? 
Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So, hey, we don't want to be like that priest of the first half of the chapter, uh, slapping Jesus in the face, denying the truth. We want to be interested in the truth. Jesus says if we are, we're aligned with him, listening to him. And the truth he declares here is that I have a kingdom. I am a king. It's not like any of this world that you guys know or would imagine. Amen, guys? So Pilate doesn't want to let this mob crucify Jesus. We'll get into chapter 19 here. He has Jesus flogged and mocked because he hopes that they'll just leave Jesus alone. Uh, Then he brings Jesus for questioning again, and that's where we end up in John 19. And Jesus kind of has in mind that his faith is already sealed. John 19, 11. This is the end of this sad scene for us. Jesus answered in John 19, 11, uh, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Wow, Pilate even aligns with Jesus. Like, no, I'm not just going to say he claimed this, but this guy's king of the Jews. So Jesus, it's kind of spelled out literally in Aramaic and Greek and Latin on a sign, king of the Jews. Uh, You think of the thief on the cross saying, I want to be with, remember me in your kingdom, giving this good confession. Because there's a sign staring him in the face that this guy is the king of the Jews, even though everyone else is yelling, crucify him. If he was really the Christ, he would rescue himself and come off of the cross. But I also pointed out one of those scriptures said that Jesus was led this way to his death in order to fulfill the scriptures. John 19.24, this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled. 19.28, so that scripture would be fulfilled. 19.36, these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And that's all over the Gospels. So yeah, the Gospel is the Gospels. The Gospel is this spelled out sign on the cross of Jesus that says King of the Jews. But it's also the fulfillment of so many scriptures in this greater story, right guys? All of history is converging on this day. It was all going to happen because the Bible said this will happen. This is the good news. This has been predicted by prophets for centuries and centuries beforehand. And yet it doesn't end at the cross. So our famous gospel summary, and I'm just going to share two of them before closing out this sermon. The first is in 1 Corinthians 15, and the other is in Romans 1. Paul gives a gospel summary and says this is what the gospel is. So let's read that. 1 Corinthians 15. Again, the gospel doesn't just end with Jesus going to the cross. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. 
man, have you taken your stand on this gospel, this truth? Have you given your allegiance to it? Do you hold firmly to it or hold it in vain? Have you aligned with the truth? Verse 2, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve and after that to more than 500 witnesses some who are still living. As bleak as Jesus' situation seemed there in John 18, he wasn't going to stay dead because the scriptures said he wasn't going to stay dead. (laughs) Resurrected according to the scriptures, this gospel summary says. I won't turn there for sake of time, but look up Isaiah 53. That's where it says, hey, uh, he was pierced for our transgressions. Um, It says he took up our pain, he bore our suffering, all these beautiful things. He was afflicted, but it also says that God, in Isaiah 53.10, would prolong his days, would resurrect him, would prolong his days. In verse 11, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life. So that's some Old Testament prediction and prophecy fulfillment that Jesus would be resurrected. And that's part of the gospel. Here's what else the, the prophets predicted. I'll go quickly through these. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16 says that he would be flogged by humans, but that God's love would not be taken away from him. That he would have a kingdom established forever by the, through the lineage of David. And the part of the will of God would prosper by his hand. So even for that to be fulfilled is pretty crazy. Like, what are the odds? <laughs> Isaiah 9, 1 through 7 says that a king will arise from the lineage of David who will also be divine. What are the odds of that? Micah 5, 2, a ruler will arise in Bethlehem who also simultaneously existed from ancient times. What on earth does that mean? And Daniel 2 says that after four empires, after Daniel, the kingdom of God would arise during the time of Jesus in the Roman Empire. So there's hundreds of Old Testament prophecies. There's just five to say what are the odds. And I also point these out because they all say that a kingdom is coming and a king is coming, and he will be divine. And the gospel fulfills all of that. Amen, guys? So it doesn't end with Jesus' death, nor does it end with his resurrection. It continues on into the present age, into Jesus currently reigning over his kingdom, here and now. Sometimes we fail to see that a gospel benefit like forgiveness, or adoption, or healing, or reconciliation, flows from a person and through a person who has the official capacity as king in order to give that adoption, in order to give that reconciliation, in order to give that forgiveness. Yeah, Jesus is the sacrificial offering to cover our sins, but we can't separate his forgiving power from his kingly authority, from him as head of new creation. Jesus is king type of a gospel. All right, one more summary. Let's do it. Romans 1. Then we come in for a landing. (laughs) So if you're ever asked again, what is the gospel? You can point people to 1 Corinthians 15. You can point them to Romans chapter 1. Here's Paul's other summary. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, 
and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. So notice how this summary actually doesn't even mention his crucifixion. It just jumps to the resurrection. Uh, his kingship, let's get back in verse 5. Sorry, I got off there. Yeah, verse 5. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles, that's us, to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake, or as I like to say, allegiance to the king. Verse 6, as you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't like that word allegiance, but man, how could you not like that? To belong to Jesus Christ. Called to believe and to belong. There's even alliteration there. Believe, belong. What a sweet summary. Romans 1.6, beautiful stuff. Guys, we're all called to belong to Christ Jesus, according to this gospel summary. And again, Paul mentions Christ rather than Jesus because he's speaking to a king from whom forgiveness flows. All those gospel benefits, they belong to us when we belong to him. We own them when he owns us. They're at our disposal when we're at his disposal. So don't separate the king from his kingdom or all the benefits of being within that kingdom. Again, in this summary, he mentions the Davidic lineage. He mentions the resurrection. Uh, he mentions the royal Christ, the Messiah. His resurrection is good news, again, because it anticipates that we'll be resurrected as well. If Christ wasn't resurrected, what hope do we have of being resurrected? That we too will be raised up at the last day. So guys, this is a gospel of the kingdom that Jesus calls us to. One more verse that's at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Where Jesus connects it to the gospel of his kingdom, Mark 1.15, first chapter of first gospel. This time has come, Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Romans 1 says, believe and belong. Jesus in Mark 1 says, repent and believe this good news, that the kingdom of God has come near. This is what Jesus preached throughout his ministry. Years before his crucifixion ever took place, this is what Jesus is still preaching today. So will you repent and believe that gospel? Sometimes we need reminding of that. If we're not responding to allegiance to our saving king for the first time, sometimes we just need reminding and alignment to that, that the gospel is about a saving king. That's good news that sin will no longer rule us, that we can die to it because of Jesus' death, that death no longer has to terrify us because we'll be raised up at the last day. We got the best news imaginable that Jesus is king. Why would we want any other? So in this life, you'll have reasons for some pessimism. You'll have some reasons to lose hope. I like that definition that Veronica gave. In fact, there in John 18, all the disciples, the apostles themselves, abandoned Jesus because they lost hope in their saving king. We're all going to be there at times. But guys, remember that unlike human kingdoms, Jesus' kingdom will last forever. And when everything else has been shaken, his kingdom will not be shaken. You may be pessimistic. You may lose hope that he's the king of the kingdom, but he's still the king of the kingdom. <laughs> 
It's the best news manageable. So guys, I got one more verse, but I'll say let's remember he's the king of the kingdom. Let's not be shaken. Yeah. And let's think about this passage as we set our hearts for communion today, the rest of our worship, the rest of our fellowship, the rest of our eating food and talking with each other today. It's Hebrews 12, 28. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. It's the kingdom I hope we'll receive today. Let's go to our Father in a word of prayer.